tonight and next week, we're going to be talking about what the Bible has to say specifically about dating. And to kind of set that up, um, let, let me, I just want to read a little uh, snippet from this article that I read a few weeks, uh, uh, that was a few months ago on the Huffington Post. It's a really interesting article. It's written by a woman named Susan Winter. Never heard of her before, but the description of her was that she is a best-selling author slash relationship expert. And uh, she tells her story in this little unique article that over the course of nine months, she went on 98 dates with 98 different guys. That's about three dates a week. Let me read you kind of what her conclusion after this nine-month social experiment was. And I'll just just say on the front end, um, you know, I'm giving a little disclaimer that the, that the language is a little, it's a little off kilter, but okay. Here's what she says. This is her conclusion. This is the conclusion of the relationship expert. She says this. I hate dating. There. I've said it. Let's be clear about the mechanics of this concept. Dating is only a flirtatious first sniff of what may later be mounted. No more, no less. That's kind of intense. But then she goes on to explain why she thinks so cynically about dating. Here's what she says. The dating experience is tedious on every level. The need to dress up, straighten my hair, wonder if I'm good enough. It feels like poison running through my veins. It reminds me of my summers at the Minnesota State Fair where I'd see local farmers parading their cows, pigs, and horses in hopes of winning a blue ribbon. Men parade their toys while women serve as the cows, pigs, and horses parading for our blue ribbon of acceptance. Men name drop their friendships with celebrities and clarify their numerous positions of power and influence. They rattle off their trips in foreign cities, identify their cars by the manufacturer's name, and list their homes by prestigious locations. They dangle their toys in front of our eyes in the hopes that we'll bite the bait. Oddly, they're not the bait. Their possessions are the bait. And then she goes on to ask the million-dollar question, which is this. Is it possible to create a meaningful connection without the dog and pony show? Do we really need to sell ourselves on the auction block in order to gain affection? Now here's someone who's very clearly tired of playing the dating game, tired of dressing up and parading and having guys do the same sort of thing. And my guess is, I mean, the reason why I start that way by reading that, my guess is that she's not the only person in the room. Because after numerous conversations that I've had with y'all, I've heard a phrase that has repeated itself in one way or the other over many conversations that I've had with y'all. And here's the phrase. Dating sucks. Or, or, or some form of that. Dating is the worst. And so what I want to do is I want to ask the same question that this woman is asking is this. Is that, is there a way forward? Is there a way forward without the dog and pony show of dressing up and pretending well, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. If you, if you have a Bible, or you can follow along this handout, or check out the screen behind me. We're reading from 1 John chapter 4, and it reads this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. This is God's word for us tonight. If you would, let me pray and then we'll talk about it. Father, if you would be gracious in these next few moments to meet us where we find ourselves. I know we're hot in this room and distracted and some of us are just tired coming off of a long weekend. Many of us just feel exhausted by the burden of school and relationships and everything else that's pulling at our time. A lot of us just feel a real sense of guilt and shame over bad decisions that we've already made this, this, this semester. Some of us are just bored with Christianity, wondering why in the world they'd spend a Tuesday night in this room. Some of us are excited and eager to connect with you and joyful about what you might have to say about this topic. And Father, regardless of where we find ourselves, believing, not believing, skeptical or spiritual, would you meet us? Would you convince us of your love once again? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question really is, okay, then what does the Bible say about dating? And the honest truth is nothing. The Bible says nothing about dating because dating is a relatively modern cultural phenomenon. And so if we're going to even address this topic, what we have to do is kind of extract general biblical principles and then apply them to this cultural thing that we do called dating. So I'm just putting my cards down on the front end and letting you know that we're kind of moving into the realm of speculation here because you can't really point to a verse and, you know, does it say you shall not date or whatever. So we're kind of in the realm of speculation here. And so all that I say is the invitation is on the table for you to come and wrestle with me, wrestle with Alex, wrestle with each other about what we discuss in here. So this is, you know, you're always welcome to come wrestle with us about topics, but particularly about this because uh, the Bible doesn't really address it. So here's what we're going to do. I want to look at this topic really from three headings tonight. And here are the headings that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the way, the way that y'all date, the problem with the way that y'all date, and then the remedy to the problem. I shouldn't say y'all because I, I dated in the same way that y'all do too. So let's say we. The way that we date, the problem with the way that we date, and then the remedy to that problem. Okay? Three big ideas. The way, the problem, the remedy. So here's what I want to do. Let's just talk about the way that we date for a second. And what I want to do is basically, from what I can understand, mirror back to you observations that I've made about the way that the dating thing kind of happens on campus. So here's how it kind of begins. It begins by noticing somebody in a social context, maybe kind of like in this room. You see somebody from across the room, you think that they're 
the jam. You think they got that hottie boom body and you kind of want to move towards them and start talking to them. <laughs> and so for whatever reason, you're drawn to somebody, you're attracted to them. They got the, they got the clothes, they got the look, they got the whatever. And so uh, you start moving towards them and talking to them in groups. And once you start kind of hanging out in, in groups, you, you, you're spending more and more time with them. And Maybe you start following each other on Instagram. Maybe you get each other's phone number somehow, and then y'all start texting casually, and then the, the casual texting turns into, like, we're texting a lot. And so y'all are kind of relating to each other. And sometimes this middle school thing happens where you tell your friends that you're kind of digging on person, and person tells their friends that they're digging on you, and it kind of gets back to both of y'all. So you both know that each of y'all are kind of digging on each other but nobody's really talking about it. Nobody's being direct about it. And what happens then is it kind of generates all this social buzz. People start noticing that y'all are kind of spending a lot of time with each other. So people start whispering and asking questions and be like, hey, did you know so-and-so? And so-and-so, they're spending a lot of time with each other. And so there's kind of this, all this backroom <laughs> chatter that goes on. And everybody starts noticing that y'all are starting to pair off with each other. And then whatever, what happens after that is some form of the first date. And there's two different types of the first date experience. There's the formal way where the guy asks the girl, hey, would you like to go on a date with me this Friday night? That'd be the formal way, the formal ask. But that's so rare. That rarely even ever happens. That's sort of like an exotic animal. You've never, you've, you've kind of, you've heard about in books, but you've never seen or interacted with in real life. The formal version rarely happens. It's the informal one that happens. So the informal one goes like this. You're hanging out with a group of friends, watching a movie at, at someone's apartment, and gradually you know, the movie's over. People kind of follow, you know, start leaving, trickling out, and inevitably it's just the two of y'all left over hanging out on the couch. And it's like this movie experience turns into now a three-hour-long marathon conversation on the couch. Or you're studying in the library with each other, and it's getting late, and you're both like, oh, you know what, let's hungry, let's go hit up some cookout or whatever. And so it turns into this night together. And obviously for the guys, the informal approach is so much more preferred because he basically gets to date for free and he can hang out with you without ever having to have any courage and guts and actually ask you. He gets to date for free. So the informal way is the way that happens most often. So then what inevitably happens after a few of these either formal or informal get-togethers is that uh, there's some form of social isolation that takes place where the two of y'all start peeling out from the rest of the group and y'all are together-ish. And it's kind of this weird, funky gray zone and it's awkward because you don't really know what you are and you aren't really dating yet, but you're not really just like buddies. And so it's this funky, weird zone and people start asking you the really frustrating, annoying question of like, dude, what are y'all? What are, are y'all dating? <laughs> And the reason that question is frustrating is because you don't know how to answer them. Because you really are dating, you just don't want to call it that yet. So we co we've come up with this middle term called, we're talking. <laughs> we're not dating, but we're talking. We're unofficially official. And so once that, uh, you know, enough time passes and it's frustrating and it's weird, and by the way, this funky gray zone can last anywhere from like two days to two months, depending on how gutless the guy is. And then inevitably, hey, I'm just, I'm shooting it to you straight tonight, boys. Inevitably, the talk happens. You know what I'm talking about? 
Back in my day, I think y'all still call it this, the DTR, where you define the relationship. This is where you sit down and one of you says, um, hey, I like you. Uh, where's, this, where's this thing going, you think? And the other person kind of reciprocates, I like you too. And then this conversation happens where you sort of awkwardly express your affections for each other. And the end of the conversation is this, you've, you, that you decide together, we're going to cross this threshold and we're going to come out on the other side and now we are dating. We've defined the relationship. We're officially, we're, we're dating. It's official. And even though everybody in this room would probably roll your eyes about putting on Facebook, the reality is whether or not you put it on Facebook or not, it's, it's the same thing. It's become, as one of my friends puts it, institutionalized. Your relationship is now formalized. You have a title for it. We're dating. You have titles for each other. She's my girlfriend. He's my boyfriend. Which, by the way, this is a total sidebar, but we've got to find better words than boyfriend and girlfriend. That's like third grade, and we're, we're 21. What? Date mates. I love it. I love it. So y'all can, y'all can interchange boyfriend, girlfriend, or date mates. I love it. Love it. So you have titles. You have a label. And now the relationship has a whole new set of obligations, expectations, and rules to it. Because you're dating. That's, in some ways, a um, generalized, broad brushed picture view of the way that we date. That's how it happens. So second question then, okay, well then what's wrong with that, Matt? If that's sort of the way that we do it, then um, what's the problem? And what I want to do is I want to highlight two problems to the way that we date. Two problems to that whole little scenario there. And the first problem, I want to set up this way, and I'm getting some help from one of my friends who is the former RUF campus minister at Ole Miss. His name's Les Newsom, who, by the way, is going to be our conference speaker at Winter Conference. Just a future plug for that. It's in February, so you've got time to sign up. Um, but he was telling the story once of uh, this girl in his ministry and his RUF group that came into his office one day, and she was so excited, and she comes through, and she's like, Les, last night, me and... Me and my friend, my guy, we had, we had the talk, and it's official. We're dating now. He's like, oh, that's great, like high fives, and it's awesome, and he's like, okay. And I think he was feeling just sort of wanting to play devil's advocate, and he knew her well enough to try to figure out, okay, what do you mean by that? And so he asked her this question, okay, you're dating now. That's awesome. We had that conversation last night. What's different about your relationship today that was not true about your relationship yesterday before you had the talk? And she goes, uh, we're dating now. <laughs> He's like, yeah, okay, I know, I know, I know you said that, but if you think about your relationship, what's actually changed as a result of having this conversation? And she says, well, I think what's changed is that we've agreed to only date each other exclusively. He's like, well, no, that's not true. That's not what's different about your relationship because really for the past few weeks, y'all have only been hanging out with each other. You've only really been dating each other. So that's not what's different. Well, what's different about it? She starts getting frustrated and kind of flustered, and she's like, are you, are you suggesting we shouldn't be together? And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm suggesting. And so he basically says, okay, let me put it this way. Let's say in a couple of months you meet another guy that's more attractive than the guy that you're currently dating, that's cooler, and you actually kind of like this new guy better than you like the guy that you're currently dating. What, ha- what happens then? She's like, well, I guess we'd have to break up. 
Now, regardless of what you think about her conclusion, <laughs> I, I, I think what she's putting, what she's saying, what this conversation is, is you know, putting this finger on, is something really interesting. That when you say we are dating, when we've actually sort of crossed that threshold and said now it's official, we've got these titles now, you're my boyfriend, you're my date mate, whatever, it feels different. But the reality is nothing's different. Nothing's really changed about your relationship. You've said that we've made this commitment to each other. We're committed to only date each other. Just because it's, by virtue of it just being dating, means that nothing's really changed and it's not actually really a commitment. Because think about it like this. Dating is, by definition, temporary. That's, that's what dating is. It's, it's a temporary thing. By virtue of the fact that you can break up with someone for really any reason you want and start dating somebody else tomorrow shows you that dating is not really a commitment. We think commitment is, I'm committed to you as long as it's fun, as long as it's enjoyable, as long as it's convenient for me. But that's not what the word commitment means. Commitment doesn't mean I'm committed as long as fill in the blank. Commitment means I'm committed regardless, period. Think about it like this. When, when I was in seventh grade, I remember I was, I was spending the night at one of my friend's house, and he was going out with this girl at a different school. So what happened in seventh grade, I don't know if y'all did this in seventh grade, but what we would do is we, you know, the guys would spend the night with each other, girls would spend the night with each other, and then we'd call each other. (laughs) And my buddy, who was going out with his girlfriend, he puts me on the phone, and she puts her friend on the phone, and so I start talking with my friend's girlfriend's friend, if you're following. And we talk on the phone for five hours, and by the end of this conversation... I'm in seventh grade. Just a reminder of where we are in the story. I'm in seventh grade. At the end of this five-hour-long conversation, I ask her to be my girlfriend. <laughs> Never seen her, but hey, we had a great conversation. It was awesome. And so a week later, our parents drove us to the mall and dropped us off, and we met. And so I was going with my buddy to meet his girlfriend and my girlfriend, who I've never met before. And <laughs> And so we go, um, we meet in J.C. Penney, and I see her from across the room, and I, I did not think she was attractive. And I know this, is, this really is a terrible story about me. Y'all are totally free to throw things at me, but I thought she was unattractive, and I actually I ran away. And I hid, I hid in the little clothes racks under, underneath it. I know. Feel free to, y'all can leave now if you want, but um, it was awful. Here's my point. We were dating. That's not a commitment. That was not real commitment. And my point is to say, okay, y'all are dating, and it's not really a commitment either. And you say, whoa, whoa, Matt, I'm not in seventh grade. You don't know my relationship. We've been going out for a long time. We're like... We're actually really committed, Matt, and um, we've talked about like future stuff, wedding stuff, kids' names. And so I just want to say, I just want to remind you, there have been couples that have been dating for three, four, five years and still break up. And that's because dating is temporary. You can get out or in really anytime you want, really for any reason you want, because that's what dating is. That's, that's what's hard about it. And uh, let me put it this way. 
some of you may know what I mean when I say these three words. Malt oatmeal. Cereal. This is the company that makes the generic cereal and the cereal aisle. You know, you go to the cereal aisle and at the very end, there's all those big bags. And you're like, dude, those are my, those are my, those are my jams there. There's Fruity Pebbles, there's Cinnamon Toast Crunch, there's Fruit Loops, only they're not in boxes, they're in bags. They have different names. So instead of Fruity Pebbles, it's Fruity Dino Bites. <laughs> instead of Corn Pops, it's Corn Bursts. <laughs> and they are crazy cheap. You can buy like a 50-gallon bag of this stuff for like two bucks. <laughs> and, and so you try it, and you're like, okay, these Fruity Dino Bites, they look like Fruity Pebbles. They're in the same section that you get the Fruity Pebbles. They smell like Fruity Pebbles, and even initially, they taste like Fruity Pebbles. But by the third or fourth bite, you're like, not Fruity Pebbles. And I've got 50 pounds of it. What am I going to do? Dating is the same way. It looks like marriage because you're a couple. It kind of feels like marriage because you have, uh, you know, you have a, a physical and emotional connection with each other. And it looks like and feels like marriage because at some level you feel like you're committed to each other. But my point is it's, it's, not, it's not marriage. It's, it's, pray, it's play pretend marriage. It's not really a commitment. You think it's a commitment. You think it's exclusive, but it's not. Here's, what one of my, uh, here's how one of my friends described it and defined dating. They defined dating this way. Dating is non-exclusive exclusivity. We're exclusive to each other, but it's not really exclusive because we can break up anytime we want. It's non-exclusive exclusivity. And the reason why that definition doesn't make sense is because it doesn't make sense. It's by, it's by definition. So, you know, here's basically, here's the first problem. Boil all this down into this little nutshell. Here's the first problem with the way that we date now. Here's the problem. Dating is making an exclusive commitment that is by definition not exclusive and not a commitment. So that's the first problem of dating. Dating is by definition an exclusive commitment that's not really exclusive and it's not really a commitment. That's the first problem to it, at least to the way that we do it. Let let me bring up the second problem. The second problem then is that what we do once we get in this sort of label, we get underneath the label, the banner of dating, what we then do is we download all of the obligations and expectations and behavior of marriage and download it into this thing called dating. So let me give you a couple examples. When we think, because we're dating each other, I have an exclusive right to your time. I have a right to your time because I'm dating you. And so the way that this fleshes out is, you know, the Friday morning the couple gets together, and the guy says to the girl, hey, I'm going to go home this weekend, check on my parents, do some laundry. And the girl looks at him and says, dude, it's Friday. It's Friday morning. What, I, I thought we, like, you're just telling me this now? What, are we, what am I supposed to do this weekend? I thought we were going to hang out. You see that expectation? The assumption is, the expectation is, when you're free, we hang out. Weekends, we hang out. It's this unwritten expectation, unwritten rule. I have a right to your time. And when I don't get what is rightfully mine, I'm frustrated. I'm angry about it. We say, I'm, I'm dating. I have a right to your time. And we think, I'm dating. We're dating. I have a right to your attention. I have a right to your attention if we're dating. And so the way that this looks is, you know, the couple drives home after the party one weekend. And um, the guy's obviously upset. And the girl looks at him and says, you know, what's wrong? You're, you're, you're being quiet. And the guy says, nothing. Nothing's wrong. 
Like, okay, that's helpful. Something's obviously wrong. What's wrong with you? And the guy says, okay, well, tonight uh, when we were at that party, we got there together and you just kind of left me and like went off and hung out with your friends the whole night and I was just kind of hanging out by myself and like meeting weird new people by myself and you left me. And she's like, you're right, I'm so sorry. And then they kind of have, they talk and they patch it up, but it never gets questioned whether or not he has the right to expect that from her. That I expect and I actually demand your attention when we're in public settings. We're dating. I have a right to it. So we think we're dating. I have a right to your time. I have a right to your attention. And we think I have a right to your body. If we're dating, I have a right to your body. And so inevitably what happens is when, when, as soon as couples cross that threshold and we say, we're dating now, the physical activity, the door for physical activity kind of swings wide open. It's like, it's, this is an open play land. You can do whatever you want now. And so different couples obviously draw the line in different places. Some couples are like, we're just going to kiss. Some couples are like, we're doing everything. But inevitably, even if you start it, we're just going to hold hands. Inevitably, the, the, the line, it just gets shifted further and further down the physical spectrum the more that you get emotionally involved and connected with each other. And, and what usually happens is that couples sometimes will get way down the line and then come up to me and say, hey, we, we really need help. We're really struggling physically. We're going, we're doing stuff we shouldn't be doing. And so I meet with them, like, well, what, like, what do you want me to do? And they're like, well, you, I want you to help us, like, pull the thing back. And my question is, why do you think that you have a right to be on that spectrum in the first place? Why do you think that you have a right to engage with that person's body at all in the way that you're engaging with that person's body. It never gets questioned. It's just assumed in the way that we date each other. It's just free game. It never gets questioned that I, that I shouldn't have a right to it. So my point is this. What we do in dating is we're downloading obligations, expectations, and behaviors that you should find in marriage, but we're downloading them and importing them into this thing called dating. And the problem with that is that because dating is not exclusive and it's not a commitment, it can't handle the weight of that. It can't, it can't handle that sort of pressure put on top of it. I don't know if you know this name, um, Manuel Garza. Manuel Garza uh, is the heaviest man in the world. He's weighing in at a solid 1,215 pounds. So think about 215 pounds, that's... that's just add 1,000 to that. 1,215 pounds. So picture my man, Manuel Garza, on the roof. And let's just say, you know, scrawny, 75-pound Justin Bieber is on, on, on the bottom level, and he's reaching up trying to catch Manuel Garza. As soon as my boy Garza jumps off that roof, it's, it, you know, it's kind of game over. It's just he's going to crush. He's going to crush under the weight. And the only reason I want you to have that mental image is because that's kind of what's happening in dating. Is you're taking these, these behaviors, expectations, and assumptions that are really reserved for marriage because marriage can handle it. And we'll talk about that when we get to marriage in a couple of weeks. But when we start importing them into this flimsy little structure that we've got called dating, here's what happens. People get really jealous and controlling. People get way too emotionally involved, way too physically involved. Things start getting toxic, unhealthy. You have the nuclear fights, and then you have the, the next week we're in love with each other again, and the next week the nuclear fight. And it's just this awful thing that's crushing under the weight of, I'm looking to you to be my spouse when we're dating, and we know that we can break up at any moment as soon as the, the person, other person just gets sick of it. 
And so what's, so what's really the problem underneath these two problems? The problem underneath these two problems is that we are approaching this thing called dating driven by insecurity. At every step in the whole process of dating, we're, it's driven by insecurity. I mean, think about it. We're in that weird talking gray zone phase. We don't know what this is. What really is this? We're feeling really insecure, so we want to rush and put a label on it. So we throw and we put this label on it called dating, and it kind of relieves this insecurity for a second. Now we know what we are. Temporary relief. You can relax. But then again, all the anxiety and all the insecurity floods back in because you're like, well, now I've got to keep the person. I've got to be good to entertain them so that they stay in this thing with me. So then you, that's when it gets really weird and controlling. The other person gets jealous of, of your time, and that's why you start doing things emotionally and physically that you shouldn't be doing because you're doing it to try to keep the other person with you. And the whole thing from beginning to end is really just it's driven by insecurity. We don't really know who we are. So then what do we do about it? What's the remedy to all of this? Because I know some of you are thinking, Matt, are you, are you, like, what do I do about the relationship I'm in right now? Are you, do, I just, do we break up? Does that mean we don't date? Does that mean, uh, what's, the, what's the alternative? Arranged marriages? Like, well, how do we get together then? <laughs> and really, we're going to flesh out a lot of the practical stuff next week because there's so much that we can say about dating. So we're going to talk about a lot of the practical stuff next week. What I want to do is I want to talk really about the heart here, the heart behind why we date like this, why our relationships are so manic and crazy and back and forth and so emotionally tumultuous when it doesn't really have to be that way. There's something in our heart that's, that's driving this. And as I've tried to say, what's driving it is insecurity, that we really don't know who we are. But I do think that this passage and the Bible does hold out some hope for us on this point. So let me draw your attention briefly to um, this passage, verse 17. It says this. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. John is basically saying in this passage that the gospel holds out for you resources so that you can be confident going into judgment day. That at the end of time when God is going to judge you, as the Bible says that he will... That you don't have a panic attack when you think about that. You're not anxious about that. You're not worried about that. You're not terrified about that. That you can actually move into judgment day with confidence. Now, how in the world can you have any sort of confidence knowing God is not great on a curve, God has perfect standards, and God expects everyone in this room to be absolutely perfect when everything about us is the exact opposite of that? How can you have any confidence on the day of judgment? Well... Look at verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. So I can say in this, there is a love that is held out for you, that if you get that inside of you, it pushes out all fear. It pushes out all anxiety to the point where you can actually have confidence in the face of your biggest threat. How can you know that kind of love? How can you know... God's love for you in that sort of way that, that you would be filled actually with confidence when something is so scary, so threatening. Well, look at verse 10. He tells you, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. John's basically saying this, look, 
the way that you can know that you are loved is you look at the reality of the cross. What the cross tells you is this. Jesus is up there and he's saying, I know everything about you. That's why I'm here. I know about the mess. I know about the secrets. I know about the lies. I know about the shame. I know everything about you. That's why I'm dying here for your sins. But I'm also up here because I love you. I'm willing to sign up for you with all of the junk that you have, all of your secrets, all of your baggage, all of your struggles. I'm signing up for you. I'm willing to take it all on me. And once you know that Jesus has extinguished the judgment of God, you can move into basically judgment day with confidence. Knowing God's not going to hold me accountable because he held Jesus accountable. What in the world does that have to do with dating? Well, here's what it has to do with dating. If you can have confidence in the face of your biggest threat, then that sort of confidence has to bleed over into your dating relationships as well. And I'll, I'll try to connect it this way. Do you all remember that movie, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Great movie. Shout out. Shout out. Love Eternal Sunshine. Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet. Jim Carrey plays this character named Joel. Kate Winslet plays this uh, character named Clementine, but, but the Jim Carrey character calls her Tangerine. And if you remember the premise of the movie, they're in this relationship, and they're in the, it's this really toxic, unhealthy, bad relationship. And because of so much baggage in both of their backgrounds, uh, what they do is this is kind of a fantasy-esque sort of story, but they go to this company to have their memory of the other person removed from their life. So the girl, because she's so hurt by this terrible relationship, she goes to this company you know, puts her brain up to this machine, and they wipe her memory, wipe her brain of every memory that she had with Joel. And Joel is so heartbroken that she would do this. He goes and does the same procedure. He wipes his mind of everything from her. So the story goes on, and now they've, they've both wiped each other's memories of each other, and the two of them go out and do life and then sort of meet up again. And they're kind of like, I feel like I know you from somewhere. Like there's this weird sort of like distant memory about the each other. And, and as they're sort of trying to figure out, where do I know you from? Even though they've had this like long, crazy relationship in the past. There's a, a couple of really amazing dialogues where they're starting to be vulnerable with each other kind of the second time around. Let me read you a couple of these. She says to him, Joel, he goes, yeah, Tangerine. She goes, am I ugly? He goes, uh-uh. She says, when I was a kid, I thought I was. I can't believe I'm already crying. Sometimes I think people just don't understand how lonely it is to be a kid. Like, you don't matter. And Joel says, you're pretty. And, Jolie, and she goes, Jolie, don't ever leave me. And he goes, you're pretty, you're pretty, you're pretty. Then a later point, uh, he goes, I don't see anything that I don't like about you. And she says, but you will. You know, you'll, you'll think of things and I'll get bored with you and feel trapped because that's what happens with me. Really, in those little... Snippets. We, we, I think we, it, they just show us our deep down really what our fear and our insecurity is really about. Because what she's saying in those little dialogues is this. If you really knew me, if you really knew me, you wouldn't want anything to do with me. You'd run. And I think that's the same insecurity that every one of us has in this room. That we have had people that have gotten to know us and they've rejected us. And it's been unbelievably painful. We've been rejected by friends, by boyfriends, girlfriends, professors, parents. Where people have seen you for who you really are and have moved away. But Christianity is holding out for you a a much better offer. Where God says, look, I know everything about you. I know what's jacked up and messed up about you. I know how deep the sewer runs. 
and I'm signing up for you. I'm electing you. I'm, I'm choosing to pour my love upon you, and I will never let you go. My love will never run out. I will never give up. And when you have that sort of flood of love in your bloodstream, as it were, I think that's what gives you confidence. That's what gives you stability. That's what gives you a buoyancy. And you imagine, how much different would our dating relationships be if you had two people operating and relating to each other like that? Where they each had utter confidence in Jesus, utter confidence and assurance of his love for them, where they could relate to each other in a normal way. And that's why this passage uh, has that verse that I love, verse 16. It says, now we know and rely upon God's love. Do you know his love? And if you do know it in a cognitive sense, do you rely on it day in and day out? Because the assurance of God's love for you is where you get the power to live the Christian life. It's where you get the power to do dating well, I think. So we'll pick up here next week with some of the ins and outs of that. But really the invitation for you is this. Do you know his love and do you rely upon it? Consider an invitation for you tonight. Let me pray. Father, what would be different about us, about our relationships, about our dating relationships, if we were deeply convinced that you have signed up for us, despite the fact that we are liars and cheaters and murderers and adulterers in our hearts? Father, I think, I think my marriage would look different if I deeply believed that. I think our friendships would look different. I think the way that we date each other would look different. Father, would you be gracious to convince us afresh of your great love for us, that your perfect love would push out that fear, that insecurity. Give us a confidence and a buoyancy and a stability that would really transform the way that we do life. Not just date, but do life. Father, start with me and then continue with these friends here tonight. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.